Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. And today I'm joined by my podcast partner, Rachel Levin. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Michael. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you since uh, December when we went to the Dreamforce event in New York. That's which, right. Which, by the way, was my first ever Dreamforce event. <laughs> yes, that was Dreamforce New York City. That was in early December and uh, right at the beginning of the Omicron yep. wave. Uh, mm-hmm. And we used our new DreamPass product to help everybody come together safely. And we had a great event there. Rachel, who did we talk to when we were in New York? Well, we had several conversations, but today we're going to be hearing the conversation that you had with Rudy Klein-Thomas. You know, he's the founder and managing partner of Mastery. That's a multi-stage venture fund. And he was joined by Helena Folks. She's a former CVS executive, and it was a great conversation that you guys both had. Yeah, it's a really interesting pair, and they're both members of the Salesforce Global Advisory Board, Mm -hmm. which brings together some of the most accomplished business leaders across industries to offer expertise and strategic guidance to help increase business value for our customers globally. So let's jump right into it and get into my conversation with Helena Folks and Rudy Klein-Thomas, founder and managing partner of Mastery. Rudy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. And Helena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I want to start out by talking about trust. I wonder if you could talk about that, Rudy, a little bit in the context of your own career as an investor and all the work that you've done connecting people together around these trusted relationships. Tell me a little bit about that and how that's developed over your career. That's interesting. I think the most important thing is uh, is something that my mother always taught me very early is, you know, uh, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't understand the effect that it had on business, obviously, until I got older and could it apply it at scale, you know, and uh, with employees, right? Yeah, you know, because in preparing for the interview, I was looking at the work you've done over uh-huh. your career and having those trusted relationships with NBA players right. that you've had and now with investors right. and creating that. Was there a playbook for that? I mean, you know, when you think about all the opportunities that are out there, how are you able to build those relationships? That's a good question. I was thinking um, the other day that I shouldn't call myself a venture capitalist. I think I'm going to coin myself an opportunist, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> um, to be completely honest, uh, there, there's no playbook. Yeah. Again, it's just a uh, it's a certain level of curiosity that I had for business, mm-hmm. certain curiosity that I have for just people in yeah. general, and then understanding opportunity, you know, and again, either putting, being a bridge between two worlds, you know, mm-hmm. which was sports and tech, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, being able to to use that now and, and kind of push it forward mm-hmm. um, to these other new opportunities. I'm not sure what it is yet, but, yeah. but, but uh, you know, just taking it day by day. Yeah. Well, yeah. that curiosity is so critical. And Helena, for you, you know, we've been witnessing this trust crisis across so many, you institutions right now. And business is sort of at the top of the heap of the trusted institutions as it is right now. Where do you see the opportunity to build more trust? Like there are in businesses and maybe less in other areas right now. How do you see that rekindling itself trust generally? Yeah, I think COVID has been challenging for all of us in so many ways. And in particular, in the work that I'm doing right now, looking at Women, communities of color, people have really taken a step back and are struggling. But I also see it in almost every uh, boardroom I'm in and organization I work with in the sense that so many of us now are not physically together. Mm -hmm. We're Zooming. Mm -hmm. And 
when we have really difficult conversations, I think they go well when it starts from a position of trust. Uh And I think trust can only be built in a very personal human way. Uh And so one of the things I'm trying to do in the organizations I'm working with right now is to create opportunities that feel human, even if they're still technology driven, Uh so people can know each other. What I found this summer, for example, I was working with a board and I was interviewing each board member about what they wanted us to focus on. But I found in the course of those conversations that I really learned about people's lives, Mm -hmm. what they were struggling with. Mm -hmm. You know, someone's husband had cancer, someone's kid was struggling with something else. And I realized in the boardroom that never comes up. And I started looking at them differently. Mm -hmm. And that built the trust both ways for us. And now we're opening up a space that doesn't quite feel like you what you would normally do in a boardroom, but mm-hmm. I think it's changing the dialogue for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Rudy does that naturally when you meet with him too. He's open and curious and asks a lot of questions. And I think it's just finding time and authenticity to listen also. Mm-hmm. A big part of trust is listening. Mm-hmm. You know, and with the new sort of digital HQ that we're heading into in this era where we, we are going to be more remote, I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, as a, as a former CEO running a, a company, how would you think about setting up those opportunities for those more authentic interactions? It's tough right now to figure out how to do that. What do you think about that? I think there's a huge opportunity in government. There's a crisis going on in terms of all of us feeling that we can trust the people who are making decisions with our monies and our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that businesses can be role models, but it comes down more, I think, to human beings than anything else. Mm You know, there was when I was preparing for the interview, I saw that you at, at your time at CVS, you were involved with the decision to stop selling cigarettes at CVS, which was a big step forward. And I was thinking about it in the context of building trust with the public, with the stakeholders, with the, the executive team, all of that went into making that decision. I'm curious if you can talk about that a little bit or give us a little background. Well, I'm very proud of the whole CVS team. It was something we'd talked about for 20, at the 20 years I'd been there. Yeah. And I always said, you know, we'd be in a big room talking about how great it was. We were a healthcare company. Mm-hmm. And then someone in the back of the room would raise her hand and say, well, if we're a healthcare company, why do we still sell cigarettes? All right. And the answer was, well, we did $2 billion in sales. <laughs> and so, and it's hard. We were a public company yeah. and we had shareholders who wanted growth. And ultimately it came down to really showing health plans, doctors, others that they could trust us because we were not making money on something that we do know kills people. Mm-hmm. Tobacco kills 480,000 people a year. Mm-hmm. So it was a great example of a team that trusted each other. We came together. We leveraged each other's strengths. We uh, we disagreed. Mm-hmm. We had arguments But ultimately, we came together and we made a really hard decision. And the thing that was so rewarding was how proud our teammates felt, our employees, because everyone has been impacted by lung cancer in some way. Mm -hmm. So we had people just coming from everywhere saying, thank you so much for this decision. I am so proud to work for this company. Mm -hmm. And then we also were suddenly a magnet for really smart young people who wanted to come work for a purpose-driven company. Mm -hmm. So it was a real honor 
to work on something like that with great people and do something that matters for the planet. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. It was a while ago now, but still really impactful. And, you know, there was a certain amount of risk that was part of that, for sure, $2 billion of, of revenue. You know, really, it makes me think about risk is sort of the other side of trust. Like to take those risks, you need to have that trust built in. How do you look at that as you've scaled, you know, in the venture business and from tech and now into real estate? How do you mitigate risk? Well, I mean, I think Helena said it best. They uh, they made a decision that set the standard as well, too, and it set a standard in the industry, you know, mm-hmm. but it's taking a long-term view versus a short-term view, you know, mm-hmm. not looking at it from a transactional standpoint. And again, like she said before, is understanding that we're all people at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and as businesses, I think, transition from transaction to service businesses as well too you know that's the that's the root uh, of the relationship of the customer relationship is the long-term view mm-hmm. you know and understanding people you know and human beings so um, I think that a lot of businesses are are, are going through that transition today mm-hmm. there's some that are still again worried about their balance sheet versus you know transaction the individuals and taking a short-term view as it attributes to earnings and you know quarterly reports but mm-hmm. um, those that can you know can afford to take a long-term view mm-hmm. and think of of their business and, and the people, right, that they're servicing and, and the clients that they have um, are those that are going to win long-term. And that long-term focus on on the customer, the customer experience and the stakeholders and sort of all that around it. How have you used that in evaluating? I see you've done a lot of investments. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm always curious about, you know, some people say it's the team or it's the person or it's the track record, or it's the market opportunity. There's all kinds of different ways to look at it. I'm just curious about your philosophy. No, I think that. at first it comes down to the people, you know, yeah. it's just understanding people. I used to always say this is a, a term you used to coin and say it's, it's not, uh, it's business, it's not personal, right? Yeah. But no, business is about people and it's very personal, right? Yeah. You know, if you, if you can understand that, then you can take a long-term view on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I always take a long-term approach to investing. I think the biggest, uh, the worst decisions that I've ever made is when I've taken the short-term view, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and as an investor, um, there's a lot of noise out there. You know, if you, if, you, if you listen to CNBC, you read the paper every day, it's very easy to get influenced by the noise, right? You right. know, um, and take a short-term view because it's changing constantly, yeah. you know? Yeah. But uh, again, if you, if you can stick to your morals in the, on the long-term view, I think you always, you know, people tend to win when they, when they uh, take a longer-term view, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, most people's regrets are the things that they sold. 100%. They should, yeah, 100%, they sold. 100%. And I love the Warren Buffett line, you know, when's the best time to sell a stock? You know, never. <laughs> so I think there's good advice there for sure. Helena, I'd love to talk about business and government working together. Where do you think there are more opportunities for business and government to come together to build more of that trust and to build more systems that work more efficiently? Well, I am super impressed by what Salesforce has done in in partnering with governments. And the city of New York in the middle of COVID is just a great example of that. So everyone should feel really proud. I find great examples everywhere, actually. I think one of the things that happens is we all see lots of negative news every day, but Uh a lot of them come from this convergence of business and government. So I'll just Uh share one example that I heard last week that I thought was phenomenal. It was a group of leaders who are in the manufacturing segment in Rhode Island, and they wanted to help a company which was based in one of our ports. And the company in Quonset couldn't get enough workers. And meanwhile, there were a lot of people in some of the poorest communities in our state, Woonsocket, 
Central Falls and Pawtucket who were looking for jobs but didn't have transportation. Uh So they couldn't get there. They couldn't get to these jobs without taking two or three buses each way. Uh So the manufacturers worked with the Rhode Island Transportation Department and got buses every day to go to these three towns, pick people up, bring them to amazing jobs, Uh and build their skills for the future so they can support their families Uh and fill critical roles in the jobs. What I loved about that story was it was simple. Right. right. I think we tend to overcomplicate a lot of these and we build a lot of complexity. And while we can aim for big transformative ideas, I have always believed the way you create a culture of partnership is when you have quick wins. Yeah, You create some of those quick wins. So that for me has been a great, very inspirational example. And I would like to be a catalyst for more of those kinds of ideas. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about the sort of, and this is back to your CVS time, the social determinants, how important they are in health outcomes uh, in that space where it's about, you know, where you live, transportation, what you're eating, et cetera. It does seem like getting down to some really basic things like that make a big difference. I'm, I'm just curious, what are the challenges where, where some of that can be something as simple as that? How come mm-hmm. it doesn't happen? I think people make a lot of assumptions about each other and they assume that that there's no desire to work with each other. You mm-hmm. know, another one that's come up for me is the education system in Rhode Island where 80% of our kids don't pass our math tests. And this is something that I think is a moral crisis, but it is a business problem too. Mm -hmm. It's a problem when we can't graduate kids who can perform the functions that are needed in our jobs. So Mm -hmm. it's a place where I see the business community really caring and wanting to help. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to invite them in. And there is no simple solution on that. But a lot of it, I think, does come back to something Rudy and I were both just talking about, which is listening. Mm -hmm. And when you walk in a room and you ask questions before you declare answers, you find there are a lot of really good ideas. Mm -hmm. And I've always tried to be someone who listens and then finds a way to pull together those ideas to create action as a result. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious, Rudy, if you've thought about this in terms of you created this interesting access between, you know, NBA players and tech investing. And what are some other opportunities to bring communities together and create more of that access? Well, I'll tell you exactly like the genesis of of how I was thinking about it. First and foremost, yeah. It was for, you know, the reason why I uh, started working with athletes to begin with, it was, it was just my only access to capital, right? Mm-hmm. You know, given the background that I was from and the access that I had, it was the only access to, to capital that I had to invest, right? So, right. again, I was lucky enough to be in that circle, mm-hmm. um, but it was only leverage, right, you know, um, to get me to a certain point. Yeah. And then the other leverage point was technology. You know, again, it was the fast-growing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted access. And um, again, you know, using the on the backs of the most, you know, uh, important figures, you know, from a socioeconomic uh, standpoint, you know, I use that leverage to get into tech, right? Mm-hmm. You know, now it's to use that leverage to impact change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so now we have tech, we have sports, we have, I think, the, the best institutions as well, too, as part of our core mm-hmm. um, to impact change, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's exactly how I'm thinking about it, right? So it's just, uh, it's leveraging all these different industries with the like-minded uh, view of, of impacting change in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how we're thinking about investing moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a powerful 
network yeah. that you've created. So it's going to be exciting to see the see the impacts. Exactly. For sure. um, I wanted to loop back to which actually was my my last question that I have, but to something Rudy you talked about earlier, which is curiosity. Yeah. Which I just think is so important in in terms of making things happen, innovation across the board. Tell me a little bit about the role curiosity plays for you. Well, it's everything. I mean, you know, I think everybody in this room, the reason why we are in these rooms is because we're extremely curious people, mm -hmm. you know, um, and there's an appetite that we all have for learning that I think, again, that, that binds us, you know, and that tracks mm -hmm. all of us together, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, and also not being married to what we've learned or what we think we know as mm -hmm. well too, right? You know, and that's that's a difference in curiosity. You know, the levels, there's different levels to curiosity. You mm -hmm. know, again, it's, for me, it's just how married you are to, to either what you learned or what you read or or what you think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how you understand things today, you know, mm -hmm. understanding that tomorrow you can learn so much more and that things are always evolving and changing and or you can learn from somebody else as well too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that open-mindedness is... It's everything. It's so critical. Because yeah, yeah. you're just going to... You're just going to miss stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Helena, for you, what role does curiosity play? Well, I, I would also bring this back to Salesforce because I love the beginner's mindset. I think it's what Ruth yeah. is describing. Yeah. And I think it takes incredible openness to have built major physical towers, for example, across the country and then say, we're committed to work from anywhere, <laughs> you know, and most companies wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I think one of the things Rudy just said is, you know, being open to challenging what you've already done. Mm -hmm. I think it's natural to be curious about an area you don't know. It's sometimes really hard to be curious when you have already been on a path right. and then someone comes to you and says, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you know, those are the moments where you really have to check your defensiveness. Yes. And I uh, I think I've gotten better as that at that as I've gotten older. But I think that I'm at my best, my teams are at our best when we just let all that go. And all we're asking ourselves is as we look forward, what's the best path and uh -huh. being super open and curious to the future rather than the past, uh -huh. which is much easier said than done. It is. But that I think is a big part of why organizations are successful uh -huh. is they're able to do that. So that inspires me. I mean, do you have a anything you do at that moment or to try to, because, you know, I think so much of decision-making and leading, et cetera, is being very close to the moment of what's happening and being able to make the right decision in that moment. And mm -hmm. it's hard to know when your defenses are up or where you may not be thinking clearly. Is there a trick you do to step back to help with that? Well, we used to do a lot of training around a notion and we use the word, um, can you get to curious? Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you, you get presented with information. Yeah. And your, your first natural reaction is anger <laughs> and you really just sort of want to check yourself and say, how do I get curious about this? Right. right. And actually just <laughs> the discipline of asking yourself the question sounds so rudimentary, but yeah. it really does help. And we would often, uh, you know, in the settings I was in, uh, we would use it even as a vehicle with humor, you know, so someone is obviously not getting too curious and you could say... <laughs> So and so, could you get to curious? And it, you know, it sort of set set the the tone in the meeting that that was our collective responsibility was to be curious at this mm -hmm. moment. Well, that's a great tip. Can I get to curious? I'll try to remember that. I just want to thank you both for joining today, Rudy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. This was fun. Great, yeah. Helena. Thanks for joining. Thank today. you so much. That was Helena Folks and Rudy Klein Thomas, founder and managing partner of Mastery. 
Hey, tune in next week when we kick off our special coverage of the Winter Olympic Games. We've got some great interviews with current and former Olympic athletes, and you won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening today. If you like this episode of Blazing Trails, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios.